Well, we welcome you today to the house of the Lord. And wherever we gather in his name, God shows up. He says, there I am in your midst. And all I know is when God shows up, good things begin to happen. Amen. So uh, the last few weeks, we've been looking at some of the heroes of the faith. A uh, couple of weeks ago, we talked about Noah, the type of person God uses. He was a, a righteous man, and he was available, and he refused to compromise. He dared to be different, and he was fully committed. The amazing thing about Noah, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Lord. Noah lived in the day of grace. For 120 years, people could get saved. But he also lived in a time of judgment because the flood came. And he lived at the end of an age. And that's exactly where we are. This is the day of salvation. There is a time coming where judgment will come. And we will be at the end of an age and into a new era for all eternity. Last week, we looked at Enoch, and he lived 365 days, years. I got days of the year. All right. So, just a senior moment. But anyway, 365 years, and uh, he began to walk with the Lord when he was 65. And what prompted his walk was the birth of his first son, Methuselah, who outlived us all. But with that responsibility came the desire to raise his child for the Lord. And that's the greatest thing you can do. Raise your kids for the Lord. Because the only thing you can take with you is your family. You know, pleasures, prosperity, position, whatever. It's all short-lived. But if we can invest in our children and affirm them in the faith and live a godly life before them, that's the greatest thing we can do. What a wonderful thing. Today, I want us to talk, uh, to look at the life of Abraham. Now, he's known as the father of the faithful. And it's because he had a remarkable faith. He was a man of God. He's a model of faith. And he's an example for us to follow. So what do we know about Abraham? Well, we're first introduced to him in uh, Genesis chapter 12. I think we have the verses up here. All right, one to five. It says, and the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham refused to go. No, that isn't what the Bible says, does it? It says, Abraham went as the Lord told him. Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That's an amazing passage. Abraham is known for his remarkable faith. And that faith was not only deposited in him, but it was developed through the testings that he faced through life. And God will test our faith in similar ways as well. And so I want us to look at his life and his example. Think of this. The first major 
test that Abraham had was to go to a place he never heard of before. And when did that happen? When he was 75. Come on now. 75. He was wealthy. He was retiring. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the blessing of the Lord. He had all kinds of cattle. He had all kinds of herds. And, and he was wealthy. And so at the age of 75, he thought he'd cash in on his RSPs, you know, and just change them to riffs and, and just enjoy the rest of the journey. And just as he was enjoying himself, minding his own business, God shows up. And Abraham, he called Abraham and said, Abraham, yes, Lord, I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your home. I want to leave all that you're familiar with and come follow me. Now, we don't know how God spoke. I kind of think it would be an audible voice. But you know when God speaks, right? My sheep will know my voice. Abraham was fully convinced God told him to leave home. And he left everything. Can you imagine that? He, he, so he's, he's saying his goodbyes to his neighbors and his friends and all the relatives, and he had to leave them all behind. And he took his nephew Lot and his wife Sarai, and, and they moved on their way. And that was a major, major test at the age of 75. And I just want to say something here. Sometimes, now just God loves the young people, be an example, all right. But sometimes we older, not old, but older, there's a difference, older folk can think, well, you know, I've lived a full life, and... Uh, I kind of think all the promises of God are for the young people. They've got a whole life to live. We've got a lot of water under the bridge. And uh, we're just going to coast along. That's what Abraham thought until God showed up. And it's not unusual. If you look through Scripture, some of the greatest accomplishments of faith were accomplished by older people. Moses didn't get started till he was 80. No raise of hands. But anyway, so when he was 80, that's when he got started. Jacob, on his deathbed, gave prophetic blessing over his 12 sons, which were the 12 tribes of Israel, and he shaped the nation of Israel and the destiny of Israel. And then you think of uh, Caleb. He was 85, and he was still taking down giants you know, conquering land. Daniel, he, he influenced in his elderly years four ungodly kings and influenced them with wise counsel. So I think of John, the beloved disciple. He was in his late 80s, early 90s on the Isle of Patmos. And it was there he had the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, don't write yourself off. The very fact that you're here, you might be a little older, but God's not finished with us. And young people, you're included too. Let no man, you know, despise your youth. You set the pace. Get out there and we'll cheer you on. We'll be right with you. You be an example of the believer. And when you look at the disciples, they were around your age when God called them. Fishing, not doing too well. Hey, Peter. Come follow me. And their whole life was changed. So we're all included. None are excluded. But the major change for Abraham came 
when he was thinking of retiring, 75. And it says that he went out not knowing where he was going. He said, well, Lord, where are we going? He said, well, you never heard of the place. Well, how will we know when we get? I'll let you know. And I can imagine him gathering up all his belongings and packing up, and all the neighbors are saying, what are you doing? He said, I'm leaving town. You what? We're going. Where are you going? I don't know. <laughs> Did he have a stroke? Is he senile? What's happening here? But he knew the voice of God. What a major test that he moved out. I can picture him getting to the city limits, you know, sort of like Forrest Gump. He started walking and looked back, and he just kept walking. And he kept following God's lead. But I'm so thankful he did because God led him to the land of Canaan. And all I can say is this. Even at an elderly age, if God calls you to something, listen, it's always upward. There's always something more. And so stay encouraged. Don't just coast along. Stay encouraged. So that's, that's the first major test was a major change of direction in his life. So I don't know um, how, how you are, but when you know the voice of God, that's when you just have to be obedient. I think at the time we, uh, we left Hamilton and we went to, to Truro, Nova Scotia, followed my brother-in-law. And we were there for three and a half years. Had a brand new church, maybe five years old. It was like having a Cadillac in your driveway. How are we going to make payments? Anyway, they hadn't had a clue. But anyway, with the favor of God, over that period of time, we saw people come to the Lord, fill the church up, and we paid it off. And in September, entering into my fourth year, um, just prior to that, um, I had a couple of calls. There was a call. For, of course, my heart was always in Western Ontario. <laughs> so we, we were invited to go uh, to, for an interview for this large church. So I just went on my own, and everything went really well in the interview. We were off-site. We were in a, a hotel, and then the treasurer said, well, why don't you come over to the church? I'll write your expenses up, and you can have a look at the facilities. And as soon as I walked in, because I was kind of excited and thinking, when I walked in the sanctuary, the Lord just said, not here. I didn't tell them that, but when they called, I just said, you know, I really don't feel that's for me. So the, the fellow that did get that church, who also pastored a large church, he said, Dave, would you consider my church? <laughs> Went there, no. And uh, long story short, September's the time we start up BBS and all this stuff, right? So in September, that's the time, that's the church calendar year when you start up. I became unsettled. And on this Sunday, my assistant was leading worship, and I could just hear God say, it's time to step aside. Uh, okay. That morning, just like now, I normally preach extemporaneously, even though, yeah, crank that mic up a bit more. My wife's giving me a nod. Okay, a little bit more. That Can you hear me now? All right, there, that's good. Keep it up there. That's wonderful. Because I, I get thinking away and I get soft 
sort of like that guy that paints, you know, and put a little stroke here. Yeah, yeah, there you are. <laughs> All right, thought you'd know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I became unsettled. And that morning I got up and I read my message. The ladies came to Doris afterwards and said, is the pastor feeling okay? Because in my earlier years, I was more fiery, you know. And um, that day I knew we were to leave. Met with the board that afternoon and told them, I'm going to resign. So they made me promise to uh, stay until they got someone. I said, okay, as long as I can come back home and look for a place to live. So... We didn't know where we were going. And I preached the next Sunday and resigned to the church. And then the following Monday, we were going to leave, and I got a phone call from the district. And they asked if I'd consider Georgetown. And I said, well, I'm just leaving now. I was thinking evangelism. And they said, well, that's evangelism because nobody goes there, you know. <laughs> So we prayed about it, we drove, but long story short, we w went out not knowing where we were going, but we knew the voice of God, it's time to step aside, and it always has to be more than a paycheck. And so God honored our steps of faith. Long story short, we bought a house, had a down payment, I had one Sunday off and I preached at Cambridge. And my pastor friend, Eddie, Ed Friesen, he said, pray for the Tapleys, because he knew what was going on. He said, pray for the Tapleys that God will give them direction. At the end of the evening service, a man came up and said, where are you moving from? I said, we're moving to Acton. It's worth the drive to Acton. And, uh, you know, we bought a church a house there because it was cheaper and less expensive. And then if Georgetown didn't work out, I'd go evangelism. I wasn't on their doorstep. Well, he said he would move me for $500. I called Ed over and I said, who's this guy? And he says, a board member. He said, well, that'd be the price of diesel. So he was going to just charge me the, the price of, of diesel. Later on that week, we were at Harold Nevons and on our way back. And uh, Ed Friesen called us there. And I thought, oh, he's going to let me down. He said, well, listen, uh, there's a guy in my church that has drives a tractor trailer and he said uh, next week he has an empty tractor trailer coming up out of Halifax and if you can get all your stuff ready you'll get moved free I thought that's a good deal we lived in a parsonage we packed everything up I told our kids we're going to camp out for the next three weeks they were sleeping in sleeping bags and uh, we used all the cutlery from the church kitchen we packed everything up and we got moved free hallelujah now, you don't know that going in, but looking back, you say, thank you, Jesus. And uh, yeah, so, and then we ended up in Georgetown. Another long story. Okay. But I'm saying, you go out not knowing where you're going. But aren't you thankful you know who you're going with? None of us know where the pathway of life will lead us, what's in store for us. But we're not alone. God is with us. And so he always has our best interests at heart. The second test was a delayed promise. Now, God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and out of your loins, you're going to bless the whole world. That sounded pretty amazing. What God forgot to tell him was, it wasn't going to happen right away. 
He was 75 now, remember this. And it wasn't until he was 100. <laughs> can, can you imagine that? 100. So in between the initial call and the delayed promise, like the rest of us, Abraham was trying to figure it out. And of course, you know the story. He tried to help God out. Sarah said, why don't you take Hagar? And of course, Ishmael was born. And uh, there's, there's been Ishmael and Isaac and Esau and Jacob all the way along. So out of that delayed promise, Abraham began to rationalize. I'm getting older, not younger. And, uh, you know, maybe we need to help God out. And that didn't turn out well. Long story. And God showed up again. He said, no, Abraham, I told you, out of your loins, you and Sarah will have a son. And so Hagar moved on. And in that time of waiting, that's the test all of us will face. Sometimes God doesn't explain himself. Sometimes we have questions about God's timing and God's purpose. But in those delayed promises, in that period of time, waiting is the norm, not the exception. And waiting implies trusting God, not striving, resting in him, and praying instead of worrying. So God is never late he's never late by accident he's always on time write it down when god makes a promise he will keep it but it'll always be in his time and on his terms abraham learned a vital lesson not to interfere not to second guess god's quite capable he doesn't need your help so when we're in a waiting period, maybe you're in a waiting room wondering what's, what's the next step. That's where you just have to simply rest in him and say, Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know when you're going to fulfill your purpose and promise, but I'm trusting you. I'm resting in you. And that's the wisest thing we can do. Our times are in his hands and his timing is perfect never late never early but always on time so the the fourth challenge was or the third was the challenge of an impossibility <laughs> sarah is now 90 listen 90 years old abraham is 100 years old God sends three messengers to Abraham and while he prepares a meal for them they sit and they talk and they ask where's your wife Sarah well she's inside the tent well let her know a year from now she's going to have a child we'll come back around this time next year and she's going to have a child the Bible says Sarah laughed she overheard and, <laughs> and me an old lady Baron can, you know, and, and th that was a natural reaction. I think I'd laugh too. I'd say, what? Come again? You know. And Isaac's name is laughter, you know. So 
it was absolutely impossible. Humanly speaking, 100 years old, at 90, how would you like to deliver the goods? Poor old Sarah, 90, giving birth to a son. But it actually happened. How do we know that? Because out of Abraham, think of this. He said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the whole world out of your loins. It's not somebody else, not a surrogate mom or whatever. It's going to be you and Sarah. And he said, so call Sarai Sarah, and you call yourself not Abram, but Abraham, father of many, princess of the world. And I'm sure when they were going along during that journey, <laughs> Uh, in that latter year. Abraham, Abraham, supper's ready. Sarah, I'm coming. And they'd be thinking, did you hear what they're calling each other? It's not Sarai, but Sarah. Not Abram, but Abraham. I think they've lost it, you know. But the time came. Absolutely impossible. But think of this. The Bible tells us, even at that covenant, from the very beginning, what God said, he called something that didn't exist as if it was already done. And Abraham didn't stagger the promise. And so out of that, out of the loins of Abraham, came the nation of Israel, came the Bible, came the Savior of the world, all Jewish people. Do you ever think of that? All the writers of the Scripture are Jewish, born again. And out of that came the Savior of the world, not to bless the Jews only, but the Gentiles also were included in. Humanly speaking, absolutely impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So don't look at your circumstances. Keep your gaze on Jesus and author and finisher and completer of our faith. So there was the test of a major change going where you didn't know where you're going. A delayed promise. Don't know when that's going to happen. A total impossibility. But God is with God, all things are possible. Abraham and Sarah are living proof of that. But on top of that, the greatest test of all was when God spoke to Abraham. Isaac was around 18, 20. And God said, Abraham, yes, Lord. I want you to sacrifice your only son, Isaac. I want you to offer him up to me. That would be a tough one. But Abraham, let me read it to you out of Romans. <laughs> it said that not being weak in faith, Abraham did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's room. He did not waver at the promise through God of God through unbelief but he strengthened his faith giving glory to God being fully convinced what God had promised he's also able to perform and it was accounted to him for righteousness not only with the promise 
but God gave a command without explanation. That's a tough one. Give me your son. And if you read the account in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham's response was prompt. He rose up early in the morning. He gathered the wood. He put it on the donkey. He had the knife. And he had the fire. And he took his son Isaac, and along with a couple of servants, and they headed out towards Mount Moriah. That's where the Dome of the Rock is. When you see that in Jerusalem, that's where he offered Isaac. And so, along, that's another story. But anyway, so they come. And then he said to his servants, stay here. Listen to this. Stay here. We're going up to worship God. And we'll come back down again. Wow. Remarkable faith. And on the way up, can you hear the tug in his heart when Isaac says, Dad, I, we got the wood and, and we got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? God will provide. The Lord Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He builds the altar. He puts the wood, what would represent the cross, on the altar, and he placed his only son tied him and put him on the altar and then he takes the knife and God calls Abraham stop he had committed in his heart to offer his only son you see God didn't want Isaac he wanted Abraham's heart and how he knew was when he put the knife up ready to plunge it. God will give us testings not to destroy our faith, but to develop it and cause us to grow and mature in relationship with him. James says, think it not strange, you know, when you have many trials and testings, welcome them as friends. Because they will develop in us patience, perseverance, and mature character, lacking nothing. We can grow and mature in God, even when he doesn't explain himself. Knowing from relationship, from the day of our birth, born of his spirit, walking, not knowing where we're going, but knowing who we're going with, not knowing when this will all be fulfilled, not knowing how, it just looks totally beyond me, and not knowing why, but knowing this. God knows where you are. He knows you by name. He understands the hurt. He understands the questions. There's nothing wrong with asking why. How's that going to be? I'm sure Abraham asked all those questions. If you look at the end of Hebrews 11, it names and lists a whole bunch of faithful, believing followers of Christ who did not receive the promise. We overlook that. But it says they died in the faith, looking unto Jesus, 
and God preparing for us something better for us. And it's like a relay race, even beyond Abraham, but say with Abraham all the way down, the birth of the nation, the salvation of the world. We're all in a relay race, and Abraham does his part, hands the baton off to Isaac, Isaac on to Jacob, Jacob on to Joseph, and all the way down the line. And here we are, we're in a race. And we need to pick up the baton that's being handed off to us for such a day as this. And never ask why. Just say, Lord, I'm believing you and I'm in a race and I'm going to run to win. We lost a granddaughter, 11 and a half years old, to cancer. But she had an unwavering faith in the Lord. She prayed over people at the altar. She, she had such a sweet spirit. And there was no question of her faith. And the night before she passed, they had her in a, on a mattress in the family room, Matt and Lisa, Joey and Abby, and they spoke blessing over her life. They weren't saying goodbye, but they knew outside of a miracle, things were getting close. They spoke blessing over her. So proud of you. Uh, Sarah and your strong faith and they just spoke blessing the next morning Matt went into her room her body still warm but she was gone and he called the family in and Abby said when he told it said Sarah's gone is that why you called her dad he said I didn't call her Abby the oldest sister said I heard a voice, Sarah, and it was God calling her home. We came back from Zimbabwe, was there for the church service, there for the funeral, supporting Matt and Lisa family. Didn't make sense. She didn't have a long life, but she had an effective life. And we chose not to dwell on, the question was there, why? But we chose not to dwell on that. Because if God told us why, we might, might not like his answer. We chose to focus on who he is. He's a loving God. He has our best interests at heart. And he who has begun a good work in us he will fulfill it until the day Christ calls us home or we go to be with him. So let us be challenged by the example of Abraham. It wasn't an easy road, but every turn of the road, he chose to believe God. And that's what we need to do. That's the wisest choice we can do. Even when life doesn't make sense, don't become bitter, become broken. Pour out your anger, your heart, your hurt to God. God, I don't know why, I don't know what, it doesn't seem right. And then as you pour it all out, leave it at the altar and get up and say, but as for me and my house, we're gonna serve God. Amen.
So, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you watch over us. You know each one here by name. You know exactly what is needed. You see the hurts that are represented here, the fears, the anger, the grief, the disappointment. Lord, would you just wash that from us today and replace it with your peace and your presence and your reaffirming love. We speak your word over our lives. We know all things are working together for our good. The good, the bad, the ugly. All things are working together for our good. Because we're called according to your purpose. And we love you. And so in the difficult times, we choose to praise your name and remain fully committed that you are well able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think in Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone said, Amen.